I didn't understand what hard work was until wrestling, you know, through doing the hard work and grinding and mentally being able to push through some of the adversity. I think that carries over to everything in life. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Monday, January 16th. Our guest today is Adam Wheeler. Adam won a bronze medal in Greco at the Beijing Games in 2008. He's our last Olympic medalist in Greco wrestling, which is pretty crazy. Hopefully that changes soon. Before Adam medaled at the 08 Games, he wrestled for the Coast Guard, the Navy, University of Northern Michigan's resident program, before going on to train at the OTC. Adam also wrote a book, Believe and Achieve, which is available on Amazon. I love this conversation. Adam's a great guy, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the Week goes to Manuel Ramirez from Cameron, North Carolina, the proud new owner of a Wrestling Changed My Life t-shirt. Thanks for supporting the show, Manuel. We appreciate it. And for anyone listening who wants some merch, go to store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. This episode is presented by Beat the Street Chicago. I want to thank a listener of this podcast. This individual is a listener of this podcast and heard the call to support Beat the Street Chicago and gave a $1,500 donation. So thank you very much. Beat the Street Chicago is a first-class organization. They just released their impact report for 2022, which you can read on btschicago.org. Here are a few high-level stats. In 2022, they worked with over 2,500 wrestlers. Those wrestlers logged over 450 hours of after-school homework help, and 91% of them reported having more self-confidence. 86% felt more accountable for themselves. So this is an organization that's out there in the trenches doing real work every day. And our goal is for every Chicagoan, Chicago youth, I should say, to say that wrestling changed their life. So if you feel impacted by wrestling and want to support an organization that's doing the Lord's work, go to btschicago.org donate. That's B tschicago.org slash donate. This episode is also brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the Moneyball approach to college wrestling. They track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match, input that data into their cloud analytics platform, and on their app, which you can download in the Apple and Google Play stores, 
You can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers. You can compare different wrestlers. So go to Quant Wrestling on the Apple and Google Play Stores. Quant Wrestling, download the app now. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Adam Wheeler. Adam Wheeler, welcome to the podcast, my man. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. It's an honor. And uh, Olympic bronze medalist here. So, so excited to have you on. Your book you sent me, uh, it's called Believe and Achieve. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but we're going to be bouncing over the place, folks. We were just talking, Adam and I, off air about Greco. And it's unique because 2007, Team USA wins the Greco world title. People forget that. That is, that's big. And you were right there. You, you weren't on that team, but you're right there. And you're with those guys. And now we're at, you know, a very low point for Greco in terms of you have some reshuffling at upper management. You don't know what's going on. Um, so what, what, what are your thoughts on a kind of 07 to now? What, what, what's the biggest changes? Um, you know, so when I started wrestling Greco, I feel like we were dominant in Greco, right? We had a really good team. I started in 2000. That was my first year. I didn't even get a wrestle in um, nationals because my coach told me no, basically. Um, I was on the Navy team and he said, you're not ready. And I wasn't. And, um, but if you think of like the 2000 through 2008 era, we had a ton of NCAA national champs, all Americans, finalists. Um, I can name probably 10 of them that were in the practice room with me every day. Um, and then, you know, we, we were got our first medal in 1984 for Greco. And then 2008, I was the last one. And then I don't know, you know, I, I don't want to say that I know the problem or what happened. Um, but I will say that it doesn't seem like they're getting the same type of resources. The regional training centers obviously seem like they help the uh, college and freestyle guys a little bit more. Um, but there's no, you know, like when I was, when I came up, I had Garrett Lowney was a 2000 Olympic medalist. I went in the room and I, the first time I ever wrestled Garrett Lowney, he was like, I was starstruck, you know, and then, um, Jamel Byers, Rulon Gardner, all those guys were in that room. And I just don't know if that's still the same way where the newer guys coming up have the same type of guys to look up to as what I had. Um, but yeah, I'm removed. That, it's interesting though that there was such a strong contingency in that that era, in terms of big name NCAA guys, Brad Varing, Nebraska Cornhusker. Everyone knows who that guy is. He was going. That is a a big piece of it, right? Because if you don't have the top guys going in, and not to say our current guys now aren't top guys, they are. But I'm saying the the depth, right? The depth of it is yeah. uh, that's interesting. The depth is huge. When I went to practice at the Olympic Training Center. Um, you know, I, I went, I was on the Navy wrestling team with Rob Herman, and then I went to Northern Michigan and Yvonne Ivanoff was my coach, phenomenal coach. Um, we, I guess we could get back to it, but I'm really bummed out with things that just happened recently where he got hired and then left. Um, cause I thought he could be one of the guys to make a difference, but, um, <clears throat> the depth of the training center when I was there was the weight class above me. I had Rulon Gardner who has three medals, Jamel Byers, who has three medals. And then there was guys that you don't even know of NCAA champs that would come in, Cole Conrad, Dustin Fox, um, guys that beat Ruan Gardner, Corey Farkas, Tim Taylor, like guys that you just didn't know because they were behind those guys. And then my weight class in the same room with me, I had a world medalist, Justin Ruiz, 
um, Garrett Lowney at one point, world Olympic bronze medalist, RC Johnson, you know, we had some really good depth. <clears throat> and then the weight below NCAA champ, world silver medalist, Brad Veering, you know, and, and there was guys in that room who had periodically beat Brad. So the depth was what there's no running in practice. There was 10 guys for you to train with and on any given day, any of them could beat you. So I can't, I can't wait to talk about go deep on all these stops you just hit on. Let's go back to you graduate high school. You go into the coast card. What, what do you think in your life's going to, what path you're going to take at that point? Well, I went into the coast guard hoping slightly hoping I should say to be able to wrestle. I was going to join the Marines, took my ASVAB test and all that with the Marines. My buddy about, I was still 17. My buddy um, who was on my high school wrestling team talked me into going to the Coast Guard recruiter with him. Showed up at the recruiting office. They showed me the videos of the dudes jumping out of helicopters and rescue swimmers and all this stuff and telling me, oh, you could live on the beach in San Diego. And I said, well, I really wanted to wrestle for the Marine Corps. And he's like, oh, the Coast Guard could wrestle for the Navy. So I went home from that visit after wanting to be a Marine pretty much my whole childhood because all my family is Marine Corps. Went home from that visit and um, my mom signed the papers and I, I enlisted in the Coast Guard that day. So because I mean, of one video. It wasn't like that fast back then. You know, there was nothing online. Everything was paperwork and all that. But um, the video, the recruiter, I knew I was in the military and I wanted to wrestle. And I was, you know, as, as you read my book, I, I was kind of a knucklehead in high school for my freshman, sophomore year, got my crap together basically. And, um, but I wasn't at the level to be getting scouted or even really know how that process worked, um, to go to a college and wrestle. So well, I was blown away by your record, your senior year. And the fact that California is so deep that you still were a match away from going, I mean, that is, that's just the talent of California. Yeah, I was, um, it's kind of funny because, you know, here, this is what I graduated high school 25 years ago, almost. Um, I still remember losing cause I was the, uh, you know, the masters meet in California. Um, I believe I was the top seed going into that tournament and lost to a kid. I never lost to before a heavyweight who I beat a couple months prior goes on and wins the, the state championship. And yeah, my senior year, I ended up being 44 and three as a senior. And I started as one in 15 as a freshman on JV. So definitely a big turnaround for me. I love, I love everything that goes into that. And, and for folks who kind of want to know the foundation, you grew up, like you said, military family, everyone's in public service, um, kind of had a, a tumultuous childhood, but basically, you know, you, you kind of find yourself, you know, late in high school and you, you put together a really strong senior year, go into the coast guard. And so what's, what's day one at the coast guard? Like, I don't know anything about it. Coast Guard is you go through a boot camp. It's very similar to Navy because okay. it's it's boats and ships and stuff. So our Coast Guard boot camp, I believe, is very similar to like what the Navy goes through. Um, the boot camp wasn't hard. It was, I mean, physically it wasn't hard. You know, I was wrestling in high school and working out all the time and training, and wasn't hard physically. Um, definitely, I like to sleep in high school, and you definitely don't get any sleep. So that was kind of an adjustment for me. Um, but boot camp is like I said, very similar. You learn seamanship and how to shoot and how to march and all the basic history of the Coast Guard. And um then they send you off to where you're stationed. And then 
once you're in there, I mean, I just, I'm familiar with the WCAP program. I don't know if they have that in the Navy, but like, is there a Navy wrestling team outside of like the college where Kerry Colat's the coach? Yeah, we okay. have our version. We have our same version of WCAP. It's called okay. all, Na- all Navy. Um, and it, when I first got out of boot camp, I went to my first duty station. And I remember asking, I told my boss, and luckily he was a great guy because he could have just told me what he told me and then never heard about it again. I would have never wrestled past high school. Um, but I asked my um, boss and when I first got there and I was brand new at a boot camp, you know, it's kind of intimidating. And I said, Hey, the recruiter told me that the, I could wrestle for the Navy team. Do you know anything about how I can try out? And um, my boss was like, I've never heard of that. I don't think it's true. Recruiters will tell you anything to get you in the door. And so I was just like, you know, heartbroken, like, oh, but at the same time, like I, I got stationed in Hawaii. I was in the Coast Guard. It, the Coast Guard in itself, I thought was very cool. You know, I enjoyed my time. Um, but luckily, my boss was actually a good guy. And uh, he did his research. And it took probably about two months later, he came up to me and he said, hey, just so you know, you were able to try out for the Navy team. I wanted to make sure that it was okay. But he he got everything approved all the way up through my chain of command and everything. And so Holy about... Smokes two no about three or four months after boot camp i got sent to pensacola florida as an 18 year old kid to go to the all navy team with um rob herman was the coach back then and um it was 2000 it was before the olympics had happened but there's a guy on my team stephen mays on the navy team who was just he was like i just saw how hard he worked and what he was doing and he ended up making the olympic team he's the guy who beat uh, brandon paulson in 2000 to make the team so i fell as an 18 year old kid went to the navy team and fell into the hands of who rob herman who was the olympic coach in 2000 and i think assistant or sorry the head coach in 96 and assistant in 2000 you know he was my first coach out of high school i never wrestled greco or freestyle other than just going to tournaments for freestyle, um, but never trained it, never practiced it. And um, I show up and Rob Herman's there and Steve Mays is there. And, and there's along with Steve Mays, there's also, you know, 10 other guys who were Navy Academy, Naval Academy grads. And um, I was definitely the weakest link on the team that year. <laughs> That's cool that there's a team though out there. Of <clears throat> Navy guys is training Greco. Like I, I didn't know that, that they have that yeah. kind of thing. Well, it's because, and so, you know, my first Greco tournament ever was the Armed Forces Championships, which was, I think, a week or so before my 19th birthday in March of 2000. And um, they, uh, it's the military, Army, Air Force, Marines, and Navy, they all have teams. Coast Guard, we had me and one other guy actually from the Coast Guard that year. Um, But they all have teams, they have an Armed Forces Championship every year. And it's, the Army gets the most funding, I, I believe, for their WCAP programs. That's why, you know, they have the top guys. They do a better job recruiting um, specifically for that. I actually, after, when I graduated college and left Northern Michigan to go to the Olympic Training Center, I was really close to going into the Army myself to continue mm-hmm. wrestling and also, you know, have some income while I was doing it. Wow. There's a, there's a lot to unpack there. So how did you, you've never wrestled Greco in your life. And basically you're getting put into a situation where instead of going to college and wrestling folk style, you're getting a head start on Greco compared to everyone else at that time. 
Like you got to train as an 18 year old, which is pretty unique. Did you have to like, what happened for you to get from Hawaii to Florida? They just send you without any tryouts or do you have to go out there and meet the guys or. Well, there's supposed to be tryouts. So things worked out for me. Very lucky. I got, I found this path by luck. A lot of it. Um, when I applied and sent in my application, Rob Herman actually called me on the phone and he said, Hey, I just want to let you know that you missed all the tryouts. There's supposed to be tryouts and they're like in Virginia, there's four different places where they have tryouts and you have to win these tournaments. And, you know, the, the system was a little harder just to get into it. He said, but I don't have any big guys and I need a big guy. And so based off your high school record and whatever you put on your application, <laughs> we want to bring you out to the camp. Now, once you get to the camp, it's like three months long. And then a couple of weeks before the armed forces championships, you have a wrestle off to make the team. And, um, so I went to the camp and to be honest with you, I was lucky. The only wrestle off I had was another guy who was my age. And, um, I was able to beat him for in both freestyle and Greco and, um, made the team. And when you're doing that three month camp, are you doing any type of Navy slash coast guard activities or is it practice in the morning, chill practice at night train? That's it. Yeah. Just all wrestling. So do they have that was, for other sports or just wrestling? There's a lot of sports. I believe that they have WCAP programs for. Yeah. What wrestling. Thing. Yeah. It was a really cool opportunity. And um, I spent five years in the coast guard, but I spent out of that five years, maybe a year total of actually doing coast guard work. I was wrestling. I'd go back for a little bit, go to wrestling. And then my last three years, I was good enough to where they put me on a, a team to just wrestle full time. And that's out of Florida where you're mentioning. So the all Navy team is out of Florida, but there was this feeder program because Florida only went from like January through April till like the, or through April till nationals. And then a couple guys would get a stay for the trials. if They qualified. Um, but there was a feeder program in San Diego and it was called the SOPAC team. And there was a really high ranking captain there who ran a team that was kind of a separate team, but it was kind of a feeder team for the all Navy team. And so that captain actually is the reason that I was able to get on full-time orders to wrestle. What a dream scenario. Man. Yeah. And so how do you fifth, go from to that, to the Northern Michigan program? So my fifth year wrestling, um, in the military, I actually was my first year in college. Rob Herman set it up to where he introduced me to Yvonne and I was planning on getting out of the military, but it was 2003 going into 2004 and the military said that they would let me go to the college, um, full-time go train at the college, start school and hopefully represent the U S on the Olympic team in 2004 was the goal. Um, I was, uh, you know, like I said, I was pretty fortunate to get that, but Rob Herman in the 2003 national championships introduced me to Yvonne and I sat and watched the finals with Yvonne the first time I ever met him. And Yvonne is just like a very straightforward guy, you know, and he just looks at me and he's like asking me questions like, how many pull-ups can you do? How much can you bench press? How much can you, you know, just like questions that I was just like trying to answer them and I told him there was a guy at, uh, you know, who RC Johnson is. Mm -hmm. He was, um, is that he wrestled in the trial finals, the, the uh, mini tournament finals. Correct. 
Yep. But he was the re- one of the reasons I went to Northern Michigan too, is because he kicked my butt like six times in a row. And I remember telling Yvonne, like, I'm going to beat RC one day. And our, Yvonne just looked at me and he's like, you'll never beat RC unless I train you. <laughs> and it was just, and he's dead serious, you know, and he's in his Bulgarian accent. And um, I actually talked to RC Johnson and I said, hey, would you care if I came up here? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go there and make it a competition. I wanted to go there and train with a guy who's better than me. And um, at that point, he was way better than me and he beat me every time we wrestled and um, he was all on board and actually him and I became really good friends and made a deal with each other like in 2003 or 2004 that if one of us makes the Olympic team we'll bring each other as our partner for the training partner so did it happen like that in 08 it happened like that in 08 I uh I beat him in the um mini tournament finals and by the way like RC beat me like the first six times I wrestled him. And then I think I beat him a couple of times once I got to Northern, then he would beat me. And then I would beat him a couple of times, you know, but we were pretty close. The mini tournament finals, not one point was scored. I won on criteria. And that was it, just, it a, looked like it was one, 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 one. Yeah, it criteria. sure was. <laughs> yep. And we just, we trained together forever at college he went to the training center, I think in 05, I went there in 06. We trained together again. And, um, we just, we were both Yvonne trained, you know, and Momir, Momir came in and helped obviously too. He was a huge impact as well. Um, my last couple of years and RC's last three years before that Olympic trials, but we, we knew each other so well, we practiced every day together. And, um, the, he wasn't going to trick me. I wasn't going to trick him. It was just kind of like, whose day is it? You know? So how did, how did the, uh, <clears throat> how did like the first practice work? Cause I had Max Nowry on and he goes, he was trying to describe how different it was with Yvonne and what was different. Like, what was your first practice like going into that program? Um, the first practice, once I actually got into the program, Yvonne did things differently. And, you know, like there was a certain type of, you know, when you have like a leader or a boss that, you just instantly respect. That's how Yvonne was with me. Like I instantly respected him. Now you got to remember, I was also military coming out of military. So I just kind of had that um, respect for authority type uh, attitude anyways. But Yvonne would make you line up in order from the lightest weight to the heaviest weight. And then you lined up in rank of who's ranked ahead of who. So like when I first got there, RC Johnson was ranked ahead of me. We had like four or five guys, my weight class back then. Um, and I don't know if I was number two or number four back then, you know, the first practice, but you lined up by how you were ranked in the USA wrestling rankings and everybody respected that. And that's, you know, you just, it was kind of like a military, like, you know, you would have like Spencer Mango on the front of his weight class, Betterman, Harry Lester, Jake Fisher at the time. And then as you know, Andy Besick eventually was probably that guy that was in the front, but that's just how it worked. <laughs> what else was different about like the way practice was run or the training cycles? Um, I don't know if it was much different. We still practiced twice a day. We still had, you know, it seemed like everywhere I went from the Navy to college to uh, the Olympic training center, we usually had two day practices every day, except for Wednesday was only one practice and Saturday was only one practice. And then Sunday was off. So it ended up to be 10 a week. And, um, 
Yvonne's passion was just unmatched. You know, like he truly, truly cared about the athletes. Um, there would be days in practice where I'd get done with practice and Yvonne would keep me there for an extra hour working on certain things. You know, he knew that I worked hard. I was also the guy that for me personally, I was the guy that Yvonne would have to tell me once in a while, Hey, take it easy, get off the bike, do, you know? So, cause I was kind of a, in that mindset of just keep working harder and harder and harder than everybody else. But I would have overtrained myself sometimes too, if I didn't have someone tell me to pump the brakes a little bit. So, and is his background that he's a, like a Bulgarian Olympian? I mean, I know the bags, I know the great reputation. I don't know a lot about his uh, competitive career. Yeah. He's a world silver medalist and um, he was fifth at the Olympics. And that sticks in my head a little bit because when I lost in the semifinals match at the Olympics, um, he just, he looked at me and he's like, it, it's funny the way he says things. Cause you have to like, um, the way that you interpret them, I guess, but he said, trust me, you don't want to get fifth place, <laughs> you know, cause if you lose, you get fifth, not fourth, you know? Right. And he's right. like, he, uh, he said that cause he finished fifth at the, at the Olympics. I don't know. I don't remember what year, maybe 92 or 96, but, um, he was a world silver medalist. I mean, he was, when I first got to the room, he used to kick everybody's butt. I mean, Harry Lester. He was still uh, going. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He used to kick everybody's butt. And then there was a day and it was maybe a year or two into my college career when Harry Lester turned it on and became the two-time bronze medalist that he is in the world, you know, and, and Yvonne couldn't really wrestle with him anymore. But my first like, couple of weeks of practice, Yvonne rest, would get in there and pummel with me. And it was like, I think he realized pretty quick that I was 235, 240 sometimes. <laughs> and and uh, oh. he, it, it didn't happen very often, but he was intense. So he had a, a lot of passion and it sounds like a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence. You know, sometimes people, I, I don't know, I was one of those wrestlers that struggle with confidence. And you're around a coach like that, like one that's coming to mind right now, Mike Powell, he's a Chicago legend. You talk to the guy for five minutes, you just, you're feeling confident. You're feeling good. This guy yeah. seems like he had no shortage of confidence. Yeah, no, he knew, he knew what he was doing. He was very confident with it, but I'll tell you what though, like you'd go in Yvonne's office when it's not practice and it wasn't, he wasn't just in there hanging out, relaxing. He would like have notes of everything that he wanted to work on. And he had a plan. Um, there was never a day at practice where you just showed up and he was like, all right, guys, we're just going to do this today. You know, it was like, no, he had a plan. There was a system in place that, I mean, it, I, I think that Yvonne is the reason that there was a lot of success in, in Greco, um, that later part of 04 to 08. If you think about, you know, we only had two Olympic medals with, um, I got one and then Rulon Gardner got one in 2004. Um, but there were several world medals in there. And a lot of them were guys that Yvonne coached, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of our world medals, if you look back to our last eight medalists in the world's and Olympics, you know, Yvonne had something to do with a lot of those guys. And was and then, it the case that he created that program at Northern Michigan or how, like how did, when did he get there? I, so Gordy Morgan was there before him. I don't know if Gordy was the first coach or not. Yvonne was there when I got there. Um, so I don't know if Gordy was the first coach. I know it was a relatively new program. 
uh, maybe three or four years old. Is it still going on now? It is. Andy Bisick is the head coach now. And that's the only place to wrestle Greco beyond high school right now, correct? Yeah. And you know, it's something broke my heart the other day. It didn't really break my heart, but I was in practice and there's a, a guy at the club who um, one of his sons is at, in that program, Northern Michigan. And another one of his sons is a really good Greco guy. Like, I think he's won Fargo without getting a point scored on him. Um, and uh, I could be wrong on that, but I know he won Fargo just recently. And I asked if he was going to that program and the dad was like, no, he's just going to stick around here and wrestle. And um, he, I, I just like broke my heart. Like, you know, like Greco, that, that would be like the Penn state for folk style back mm-hmm. when I was wrestling, in my opinion. Um, you went to Northern Michigan and then you went to the Olympic training center. The only off thing was the military branches, but the military branches didn't have the same impact. Like right now, it seems like the whole military team is the Greco team, the army team, but that's not how it used to be. And, um, just kind of made it, made me realize like how far, like behind our Greco program is falling. And like I said, I don't. I, can't, I don't have any answers. I can't blame anybody. I, I don't know what the, the truth is or how to fix it, but um, I would love to see it get back to where it was. Absolutely. I mean, why do you think, and if you don't know, if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. Why do you think Yvonne left after only six months or was he forced out? No, I don't think he was forced out. Um, I think that Yvonne wanted certain things and I don't think that he got the support that he wanted. Like money um, for positions and, and not, and I know it's not money for him. Like right. he, he, he did not take that job for financial. I mean, his business is probably doing very well. I could imagine. Um, like RTC spots for young kids to come out and live there. And yeah. And I'm just speculating, you know, and, and um, I did talk to Yvonne a little bit, but um, basically he, he keeps everything professional. He says, Oh, we just had a different, idea of how things should be ran, you know, but my, my guess is that he wanted to put certain things in place and USA wrestling wasn't going to support it. And so he wasn't going to, he's like, if you're not going to, and I agree to an extent from, if it's true, if you want the program to be the best in the world, like it was when I was wrestling, um, you got to be willing to, to put some money into it and some effort and let the guy who you hired to be the manager pick who he wants to put in certain positions right but i know he yvonne's kind of um i don't know if stubborn's the right word or whatever so you know i I heard some some rumors that he went in and made some people mad with some of the things he wanted to do and stuff but i don't know if any of that's true a little finessing maybe goes a long way right (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so when you and i gotta have him on i mean the amount of people that talk about yvonne ivanov is the list is, is very long. Um, he was phenomenal for me. Yeah. And if you think about going back to the Northern Michigan days in the you know, early two thousands, what was, so you get there in September, you're training twice a day. What's your competition schedule like? Are you guys going overseas together for weeks at a time? Um, we did. Yeah. We, um, it was, it, and it kind of depended, you know, like I was lucky. I went, I was, I barely got into Northern Michigan. Like you had to be a top 10 ranked guy in your age group or whatever. And I was like number 10. And I, you know, I, 
number 10 in 2003. And then the next year I went to, I got fourth at the Olympic trials. I lost to Garrett Lowney and then another guy named Dan Hicks, but um, two guys who retired. And all of a sudden after being there for a year, I'm the number two guy. So I got a little bit more, I think once you're on the national team, you get a little bit more funding and stuff to do certain trips. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely traveled as a team. Like if, when we went to the university worlds, Yvonne was the coach of that. And, um, we went to Bulgaria a bunch of times, Germany, a bunch of times together as a team. That's gotta be just, you can't be bonding like that on international trips. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Some of the international trips I had were like the best times ever for me. Right. Um, but it's, it's definitely cool when it's your team that you're with every day and all the friends that you have and stuff. And then how did you end up at the, at the OTC? And is it like a, a resident program where it's meal and meal and board and you're kind of on this, on the salary out there? Yeah. So uh, like I said, I, I went to Yvonne and my first year with Yvonne, I went from being the 10th guy in the country to the number two guy in the country. And then um, I actually graduated college in three years because I kind of had like this plan in my head. Like I wanted to get out. Yvonne was a phenomenal coach and I probably would have never left. However, um, all my training partners had left the, the uh, Northern Michigan. So RC graduated a year before I did. And then Robbie Smith was there for a short period of time. He left. Justin Millard was there for a short period of time. He left. So that was kind of, we had a couple of young big guys that, that could have been good. Um, and I think, but they were a little too young to give me that push that I needed. And so I needed to go to a place where I had a little bit better partners. And so after three years up there, um, I was like, I graduated and I, I wanted to move to the Olympic training center where everybody, like I told you, the room was five to six deep of really, really good guys in every weight class back then. And, um, it was just the place to be as far as partners go. Who was the coach of the resident program for Greco? Uh, the coach that coached in the room was Momir Petkovic. The, um, the head coach, but he wasn't in the room as much. He was, you know, more of administration, I think, was uh, Steve Frazier. But Frazier would come in during the camps, and um, he was a big, a big mindset guy. Like he kind of – I know he – early on in his career of coaching, he probably coached a lot more on the mat. But when I was there, it was more of – he, he talked about the mindset a lot and he would show some of his techniques that, that worked for some guys, but that was, I think most of his coaching was before my time. And the, the coach was in the room. You said it was Momar Pet. I didn't catch your last name. Petkovic Momir. Momir Petkovic. What's his background? Uh, he's Olympic champ. I'm going to move around for one second here. Yeah, no problem. Momir and Yvonne are similar in a lot of ways. They're both some of the most mentally tough people that I ever met. Um, they're both very well respected internationally. When you go to tournaments, like everybody knows who they are, you know, they speak to everybody in Russian and Bulgarian and, um, just, I don't know. You just felt welcome every, everywhere that I went with either of those guys, it was like, we went to Serbia. We were like really welcome, welcomed as like part of the family. We went to Bulgaria with Yvonne, same thing. Um, I went to Momir's mom's house when I was in Serbia. And it was just, I mean, it's just, it's really cool. But those guys were very similar, hard nosed, but 
very technical too. Like Momir showed me some stuff that I feel like Yvonne brought, like, you know, I had three main coaches in Greco, Rob Herman, Yvonne and Momir. And now there was definitely other guys that helped me too, but those were my three main coaches. And Rob Herman gave me my base of what Greco is. You know, I was 18, never wrestled a Greco practice in my life even. Then Yvonne took me to this whole new level of wrestling and really like turned me into a Greco wrestler. And then Momir was like the guy that would like fine tune what I was doing. Like put your foot here instead of here, put your hands here instead of, you know, and he just had like this, it, for me, it just was a perfect combination to have those three guys, but um, they were all hard nosed, very technical type guys. And it was, you know, you wanted to, like I wanted when I was wrestling, I wanted to impress my coaches and show them how hard I was willing to work, you know, and it seemed like all three of those guys put the same effort back into me too. Those are the best coaches when like you want to want to do well for them and, you know, and, and go the extra mile for them. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about 07, so going into 07, are you starting to think about life after 08 or not yet? Um, not yet. I, I kind of was because, um, I actually, even in around 07, I knew 08 was going to be my last year. And it was at the Olympic or at the world team trials. Um, I kind of made it to the finals. If I remember correctly, like I didn't really get challenged to make it to the finals. And then even my first period of my first match in the finals, I teched Justin and then he ended up coming back and beating me the next four periods in a row or whatever it was mm -hmm. to make the team. You know, he was, he was definitely a little bit more um, experienced and professional and just knew how to keep, you know, he, he was the number one guy forever. He was a high school national champ and all that stuff. Um, but and a world medalist that year, right? Uh, he was a world medalist the year before. Oh, six. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And he, um, I mean, he was great. He was a good wrestler. You know, he, he lost to, to me in 08 and he lost to Garrett Lowney in 04. So, I mean, he had that, that weight class, but if you think about it, he was the guy every other year in between. I think he was on the world team, maybe in 03, 05, 06, 07, you know. Um, had you ever beaten was, him before 08? Yeah, I beat him. I beat him a couple times. I beat him okay. in, um, I think twice, both in 06 or maybe once in 06, once in 07. But he was definitely, you know, I was probably like two and eight, two and 10 against him. Like he had mm -hmm. definitely beat me more and he always beat me. It would always be like him and us, me in the finals and nationals or the world team trials or whatever tournament, you know, we'd go to and it would, he would usually beat me. Um, the couple times I beat him were the old clinch rule. I was better at, in my opinion, at that over under position. I'm a lot bigger than he is too. Um, but Yvonne would put me in RC in that position over and over and over and over. And I felt like very, very confident there. Then they changed the rules. And when they first changed the rules to the reverse lift where you had to lock up the reverse lift, um, I was very like, I was pretty explosive there. So the times I beat him were when those, when those rule, when the clinch rule was around and then when the reverse lift rule was new, because I don't know if you watch it, but people used to not realize like if you jump forward, it kind of, 
throws people off. And I used to just put my feet together and was strong enough to just lift people up and throw them. And um, people figured it out pretty quick though. So and if you, yeah, that if you jump forward, like in parterre, you're saying you can. Yeah. There was that reverse lift defense just got so much better with everybody and timing off the whistle and um, kind of hated it in a way, as far as it was like, you're always jockeying for position. You know, I like it now how they just kind of put you flat and then you just start. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's how it should have been in the beginning. But you were saying though, in, in 07, maybe you had an epiphany about life after 08 at the trials. I got us off track there. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I ramble sometimes. No, no, that's me. That's a, I, I have a, I have OCD. So I'll take us down little rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> but I'm just curious though. So you get to the finals, you, you win first period and you end up losing to Justin Ruiz. So you're the alternate at the 07 world trials. Yep. Um, there was a couple guys, Brad Veering was one of them who said, you know, me and Brad were training at the time at the training center together. We didn't really wrestle a lot together because I was really big for 96 kilos. And um, so I wrestled most, mostly with my weight class and the heavyweights, but we were there and we would always do extra stuff together. And after I lost, you know, he's like, you need to come and watch the world championships. You have to be there and see the level of wrestling if you want to make the Olympic team. And now he wasn't saying that because, you know, he was actually like really good friends with Justin. He actually coached, coached against me in the Olympic trials finals, Brad did. Wow. Um, it's kind of a funny story that, you know, I could tell you at some point, but him, Chris Saba is one of my best friends. Now we hang out all the time and him and Brad Varian coached against me <laughs> in the, in the finals, but it, it is what it is. It's a small community, you know, and, um, but yeah, but anyway, Brad and, um, Rob Herman both told me like, you should go if you can. And luckily for me, um, Jim Ravenack uh, stepped up and said that he would pay for me to go to the trials. Um, Robbie Smith was originally going to be Justin's training partner that he chose, but Robbie got hurt and ended up not going. So I went as Justin's training partner and um, we, I didn't wrestle with him too much, but I was there to do anything he wanted me to do, help him cut weight, help him wrestle all that kind of stuff. And, um, I knew my job and I was willing to do whatever I could for him during that year. So that's a very memorable world for two reasons for Greco. That's the year Greco won it. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, seven. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. And then on the freestyle side, one of the worst worlds we've ever had in Russia went like five for six for eight in the finals, five for eight, like pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and so, what I love about it though is you're going to to one of the birthplaces of wrestling, like Azerbaijan in the thick of it, you know, the old Soviet Union. Maybe not the birthplace, but a place where wrestling's important, right? And it's it's yeah. very different than um what we would, you know, a Western world, right? So what was your experience of just getting to Baku? Um you're just Baku in general, you're just for the world championships, it was just huge. Like the whole it seems like the whole city is there knows this event's going on. Um, you know, it's not, it's definitely different from like going to Vegas for the trials when only the wrestlers know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, this whole city, like, it seemed like it was all about the wrestling world championships that year. And, um, to go back just uh, on your point about going to countries where you're like, where they're, they love wrestling. 
I remember the first time I went to Georgia, the country Georgia, and I show up and there, there's a huge billboard. And I think it was Brad Vary was like, hey, that's the guy you get to wrestle tomorrow. You know, and I was just like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> he was Olympic, <laughs> Olympic silver medalist in 04, you know, and I was just like, all right, this is this is real. It's getting real now. So it's I think it's awesome to see countries that that really love wrestling like that. And um, especially Greco. Because <laughs> I'm and biased, that's, but and that's the thing too is that there are multiple <clears throat> countries that prefer Greco over like the Greco is more popular than freestyle. Yeah, like, I, like, you like know. some of the Nordic countries I've heard, and like there's, and, and and if not more popular, equally popular. Like it's just they're both, you know, in terms of their stars are the same level of popularity. Yeah, and I I've never done any research on it and said, hey, there's X amount of countries that do each, but when I was wrestling, everybody used to always say that, Hey, Greco is the original wrestling. And there's more countries that focus on Greco than, than there are freestyle and internationally Greco is, um, I mean, it's ridiculously competitive internationally. Insanely and, competitive. Yeah. And it's just, you know, like I said, I, I, I know Brad Veering, I don't know if you ever chat with him or not, but he has a story about why he chose Greco and he believed it was the hardest one in the world. And he wanted to be the best wrestler in the world, you know, and Greco wow. was the hardest sport in the world. And, um, I got to get Brad I, on here. Yeah. He's, he's a That's great another guy. one. Yeah. Yep. Um, I have his, I could connect you if you need me to. So yeah, that'd be great. He sticks out to me because the first year my dad had us watch the Midlands, Brad varying one, and I'll never forget. I can tell you pretty much every finals from that, first year the Midlands was on TV and we sat down and watched it. And I'm just always remember him in that Nebraska red singlet. And it was just cool to me that he went on and was in, you know, Greco for as long as he did, given his folk style success. Yeah. I mean, national champ, two-time Olympian world silver medalist. Like he, he kind of, you know, the only thing he didn't do is win the Olympics, you know? And I think besides that, he kind of did it all. Everything he put his, his mind to, he basically did. Um, but he, he was a hard worker and he was definitely a leader in the, I talked about all the Greco guys in the room. And when I first got to, um, it was actually before I was at a camp at Colorado Springs. And, um, when I was at Northern Michigan, I saw Brad Veering. He was the first one to show up and the last one to leave. And, um, I said, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be that guy of the Northern Michigan room. And then when I went to Colorado Springs, I remembered like, Hey, Brad was always there 15 minutes early. I'm going to be there 15 minutes early. And, you know, I, I took that mindset and mentality. I learned it from him. So the old school, just the values, the consistency. Absolutely. And I read in your book that when you got to 08, he was the only guy from the Greco team not to do the march and the opening ceremonies because he had already done it in 04. So he was there strictly for business. Yeah. So there was a, there's a couple things that I think back of. Um, one is we made the Olympic team. We all had to go to New York like the next day to do some, um, promoting of of greco or or it was the freestyle and greco team and the women's team actually but we had to go do some promotion stuff and raise money and that that helped raise money to get our families over to the olympics and all that stuff but when we went back um there was a couple guys that like went to vegas did like a little party like a team sponsored thing you know and and i stayed back and trained and when I got to the Olympics, Brad Veering was my roommate in the Olympics. And it was like, I couldn't have asked for something better because he was at that time, he was the captain, you know, he was the leader of the team. 
And um, maybe not everybody realized that, but he was, you know, he was just his personality. And um, he, him and I both, we stayed on track. We didn't like go do anything that wasn't outside of our normal training. Cause we were there for 16 days, I think before we wrestled and um, we didn't do, we got there we slept like we were supposed to. We woke up and trained like we were supposed to twice a day, did everything, you know, kept our regimen. I walked in the opening ceremonies. He, he did not because he said he's done it before and he was there to win the Olympics. And um, that was his choice, you know, but yeah, he was the only one that, that didn't walk. How did his uh, Olympics go? I honestly don't know like what happened. Uh, he did not do as well as he wanted to. I, I don't know if he won. I think he might've lost his first match or his second match to a really tough guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really don't know where in the tournament he lost. Um, right. But I think, I think he lost to Iran if I'm not wrong, but just, yeah, he came off. He was a world silver medalist a year before and worked hard and trained hard. And that's just how it goes sometimes. Well, like you said, we think of international wrestling as being competitive, but we don't get a good purview in America of how deep the Greco field is. There are a few people and the people who I bring on and tell me about it. They're like, I think it was either Brandon Paulson or Medlin. They're like, dude, you don't get it. It's so competitive. Like it's deep, like extremely deep. And, and I'm glad to hear that because I want, I want more of that perspective. And so you think about the Olympics being whittled down to 20 guys, like any one guy, something could happen. Yeah. And, you know, like, and I don't, I'm not discrediting anybody's world medal or anything like that nowadays, but back then they didn't have extra weights at the world's. So when like Brad won, got his silver medal, there was still only the seven weight class. It was seven weight classes back then, Um, but they didn't move it to 10. You know, there was, so that competition was 60 man brackets um, going into the world championships and stuff like that. Jeez, that's, can't even imagine. Like, so in Baku, it was literally 60 man brackets sometimes. Yeah, I don't, you know, you can't quote me on it, but it was up there. Like I remember looking at Justin's bracket because that was my weight class and I was just like, holy crap there's 60 people or whatever you know and now i don't know if that necessarily makes it harder right because you know if you pull a guy australia or something first match you know and not calling out australia but whoever you pull a guy who's just their country's not as good um first match or two then it gets narrowed down pretty quickly Mm -hmm. but you know the worlds could be you know if you're pull russia first match of the worlds it's just kind of like yeah can't do anything about it does russia have the dominance in greco like they do in freestyle uh yeah i believe so they did when i was wrestling there was always you know in in 07 we beat russia they were a close um second as a matter of fact our heavyweight jamel byers had to win his bronze medal match and the cuban uh, lopez had to beat the russian in the finals for us to win and um so it came down to the last two heavyweights of the whole tournament to, to like solidify us winning. Who were some other medalists that year? Like people who contributed to the team score. You had Varen getting silver. Um, did, um, did Lester wa- place that year? I want to say Lester got third, I believe. And uh, Lindsey Durlocker got bronze also, I believe. Now, I could be wrong. So I, I, I know Lindsey... I'm not holding you to it. Lindsay has a bronze medal. It could have been the year before that too. Um, 
And actually, you know what, now that I think about it, yeah, because Joe Warren won the Worlds in 06, but he wasn't on that team. Joe Betterman was on that team. Um, but yeah, I think everybody just did well enough. Veering, Byers, maybe Lindsay got his medal that year. I can't remember, but everybody else did well enough to at least earn some points. Yeah. You think about some of the, the veterans going into the 08 trials for Greco. Like how many people pegged Jake Deitzler to beat Lester? I mean, is that just uh, incomprehensible? <laughs> it, it still is. Yeah. I mean, that was, it, that's wrestling though. You know, Jake Deitzler probably did everything he could cut weight, right. And um, in my opinion, beat the most talented Greco guy I've ever seen wrestle was Harry Lester. He was just on a different level of talent. Um, he probably didn't believe Jake Deitzler could beat him. You know, he might, have. you know, I don't know what's going on through his head in that match, but um I, I think Jake Deitchler, he earned his spot that year for sure. You can't take any credit away from him, but I think, you know, one of those things where if he would have wrestled Harry 99 more times, Harry might've beat him every time, you know, and mm-hmm. there was also other guys in that weight class that were, well, the guy in the finals was, uh, is it who, Farouk? who do you, Farouk? Yeah. I was thinking of the guy now I was getting, but I mean, I, I can't believe that if Lester would have beat Jake, him and Farouk would have been wrestling in the finals. Like that's a loaded weight class. Yeah. And then there's a, you know, um, Mark Ryle. I don't know if you remember Mark Ryle. Mm-mm. Mark Ryle was another guy in that weight class that was just super hardworking. And he worked out like Mark Ryle, Brad Bering, and myself every day at the Olympic training center, we were doing something extra, you know, that was like, and I put Mark in that category of like, Mark could get a medal type good, you know, and he just, couldn't get out of America because there was so much depth and style matchups. And, um, it was a tough weight class, but our whole team was tough back then. Like, That's what I'm saying le- is like legitimately. Every- and these are not like 22, 23 year old phenoms. These are military people like yourself who have been on the circuit since early two thousands and have been all kind of trained by the same system. And, and you guys, I mean, the amount of countries you must have traveled to from 2000 to 2008, I mean, insane. Yeah. I think I went to something like mostly my first traveling overseas trip, I think was actually in 04. So between 04 and 08, I believe I traveled over 30 times overseas. Um, and then just going back to like the trials, if you think about like that team, Spencer Mango had to beat a world bronze medalist to make the team and I don't know if you know who was in the finals against him, but Sam Hayeswinkle was in the finals against Mango. Sam Hayeswinkle was, he's, a, he's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, but for a different reason, really. But he, he loses in the finals of the Olympic trials in 08. In 2012, he goes and makes the, the freestyle team. You know, he's just, it was just, we had, we had that kind of talent. The, a world champ at 132 got in trouble. So, um, couldn't make it. Joe Betterman ended up stepping up in his place. They didn't qualify that weight that year though. Mm. It, it, like literally every weight class, there's world Olympic medalists and there's multiple like depth in every weight class back then. And had you guys ever heard of Jake Deitcher before this tournament or is this totally out of the blue coming in? Um, I don't think I've, I don't think I knew who he was. Yeah. I, I I'm trying to remember, you know, I obviously knew who he was afterwards and I knew who his coach was. Um, 
right. Brandon Paulson. But yeah, I don't know if I would have known who he was before that tournament. Well, the reason I'm going on and on is you mentioned Harry Lester earlier in the conversation. Then I'm just like, whoa, Harry was on the scene that early. And for him to be an 08, you know, being in a match like this, uh, and then knowing Deitra still had to be another killer in the finals, like, I'm glad you talked about just the depth Greco had at this time. Pretty crazy. Yeah. I hope it comes back. Honestly, I, I it could. It easily yeah, could. If you could, get, but... you have to get, I don't see you have to, but either some of the top NCA guys or, getting more RTCs that are Greco focused at the high school level. Um, I, you know, I, I'm pretty far removed from the high school RTC scene, but um, I don't know how many coaches out there that are dedicated Greco coaches, but if you put one in like, like a Chicago or like a Jersey where there's a lot of wrestlers around, you could do some damage. I mean, you put yeah. Yvonne at like the old overtime facility in Chicago, there's not going to be as many kids as there were training in freestyle and folk style at overtime, but there's still going to be a, quite a few. You know, yeah, I just went to a tournament last weekend in Utah um, and I saw Yvonne's son. Yvonne's son is a year older than my son. And uh, they both wrestled in that same tournament. And Yvonne's son, you could tell like he didn't he was in the finals and he lost to a kid. But you could tell Yvonne is like is the his son's name is Yvonne also. But you can tell like if it was a Greco match, like that's where this kid's comfortable and you could just see it. You know, it's just he's like almost going to parterre defense on, on bottom and stuff <laughs> like, but now are you, your sons, are you coaching your kids? And like, what's that been like watching your kids get involved with wrestling? So my, um, I have two boys, my younger son, he is wrestling at practice only and it's by force. And, and we're, my, his what, mom and I, <laughs> I don't know if it's the right thing to do. He's 10. He's all, he'll be 11 in a couple of weeks, but there's a local club here. That's pretty easy. And he's just, doesn't have that like mental drive. So we're like, you have to just wrestle this one season. You don't have to do any tournaments, but you have to go to practice two days a week. Okay. Um, hold on. Sorry. I, my good. phone rang. Um, and uh, so long story short, my older son has been since he was five years old, wanted to wrestle and he's been wrestling and he's pretty good at wrestling. You know, he's placed at Tulsa. He got six once and third once. Let's go. We're going, that was at 10 U we're going back next week actually. And we'll see, I don't know if he'll have the same luck at 12 U, but, um, he, uh, he likes wrestling, but he only wrestles like three months a year and plays baseball, um, a lot, but I coached him or I was the assistant coach of him all the way up until last year. And then last year we decided um, that I'm not going to coach. I was coaching at a club out here and uh, he now goes to another club. So I'm not his head coach. I sit in his corner and help him and I'll, I'll help that team once in a while. But I think it's just a little bit better that I'm not like the guy yeah. telling him how to wrestle. Well, you so. got to be careful, man, because someone with your caliber, you start going to a club. Next thing you know, you're going to be going to every <laughs> tournament across the country, coaching all these kids and, and you got a full-time job on your hands. Yeah. I mean, the, there's a, so I live in Colorado Springs, right? Well, I'm in Monument, but same thing. There's six guys out here running clubs that were like Olympians, Olympic level guys, <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of good wrestling coaches and, you know, Jameson went to a club, his club that he goes to is called Black Fox last, you know, last month when I was walking in there, Colton Schultz was coming out, you know, and I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's just like, oh, I just came in to get a workout or whatever. Wow. You know, 
so there's a lot of good wrestling that comes out of here. Um, last weekend, we went to this club out here called Mile High Wrestling. Mm-hmm. And um, just because Jameson, my, my son's Jameson, he's kind of struggling with partners right now. And they have a kid there that is a good partner for him. And it's Sonny Yawn, who's a three-time All-American, and his brother, who's an All-American. And there's three other guys who are all All-Americans in D1. And it's just like, wow, there's a lot of a lot of talent out here to, you know, get better at wrestling. So. Yeah. It sounds like and anytime I talk to a guy from the university of Minnesota, a lot of those guys don't leave Minneapolis because the university is in Minneapolis. So like, they'll talk about like little club teams have six all Americans on this coaching staff. Cause they're all just Minnesota wrestlers that live there. It sounds a lot like your deal in Colorado there, where there's just so many guys in that, uh, in that area, Colorado Springs area. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, Chris Saba runs a club out here. Kevin Bracken, who's an Olympian, runs a club out here. I was coaching at a club. Betterman has his own club. Like it's just, and they're all within 20 minutes of each other, you know. Is there a club called the Sons of uh Sons of Thunder still going in Colorado? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. So that club is now called Black Fox. Oh, that's, that's the, the one. That's the one that my son actually goes to. Um it used like the sons of thunder they kind of made it like they tried to make it kind of like a valiant prep type thing where it was like a school they actually did that before valiant prep even started there i don't know if you're familiar with their program but i am well sons of thunder used to be in illinois and they the illinois middle school circuit is so intense that they made sons of thunder was this team down south and chicago's where all the quote-unquote studs are it's not true but that's what everyone thinks so this team down south all of a sudden they win and they're like wait the Sons of Thunder team from St. Louis has guys from all over the state on it. And so then Illinois said, you got to live within 30 miles to wrestle for Sons of Thunder. And they made it just for this club. And then the guy leaves, goes to Colorado. And I just assumed he was still doing it because it was a massive club at the time. Yeah. And he was out here and he actually was partnered up with the guy who's doing Black Fox now. Okay. And guys tatted up like crazy, right? Yeah. His, his yeah. name's Estrada, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Estrada, maybe. But he... um. I mean, some good wrestlers come out of there and oh, yeah. uh, that's the club that we ended up switching to. They don't do the school, the full-time school or anything like that, but they, he moved away. I don't know where he is now. And the guy that runs it now is a guy named Luke Morris, who's a good coach. Like you yeah. walk in his room and you're like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. And um, that's, you know, that's why I went there it was a, there was a lot of training partners for my son B like his level of coaching is just, you know, it's, I, it's good. He's, he's a really good coach. Um, yeah. But. So they were doing the Valiant thing at a, in Colorado, like at a charter school type situation. Yeah. I think they were doing like they, it was like a school, like a homeschooling setup so they could train a couple times a day, go to school during the day and practice. I don't know how it worked exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't and surprise then, me that guy did something like that. Cause he was always pushing the envelope. Yeah. I know a couple kids that went through the program and they're, they're really good wrestlers now. Yeah. So, yeah, but you know, we have another guy out here too. That's 10 minutes, 15 minutes away from me, Dwayne Goldman. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you? Yep. He's, uh, he's, he's coaching now out here too. So there's, <laughs> <laughs> he has his own club out here and, um, it's, I mean, if you want to get good at wrestling, I think out here you can, Yeah. you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed on my son a little bit because he he's good at wrestling. He loves wrestling, but he's still 
chasing that baseball dream. But well, the fact seventh, that he loves wrestling grade. is the most important part, though, man. Like, is if he gets to high school yeah. and still loves it, you got a chance. Yeah, yeah. It, I'm, you know, I was an anomaly, but I didn't even start wrestling until I was a freshman. He's still in seventh grade, and he's had, you know, he's already won youth state championships and placed at Tulsa's and all, you know. So right, he's he's got a big head start if he decides that he wants to do that. Well, and it's just cool that you're, you're still involved in the scene. And, you know, some people wrestle their whole life and they have such a bad taste in their mouth. They can't go back to it. And it's not often, but you see that. Um, I don't know why that is, but you know, it's awesome to see someone like yourself still involved with it. We have to hit on Beijing because man, I wanted to hit on the Olympic trials. And I'm sure that for a lot of people that's bigger than the Olympics, but I mean, when you think about winning the Olympic trials versus like getting to Beijing, what stands out more to you? Winning the Olympic trials versus getting to Beijing. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's so, my caveat. Doc Bennett told me that there's more pressure on wrestlers to make the U S Olympic team than there is to win at the Olympics. Once you actually get there. I, I agree with that. Um, I'll tell you that I was not nervous at all when I went into the Olympics, like it was like, as dumb as this sounds, I felt like, you know, my whole goal was I wanted to make the Olympic team. I wanted to be an Olympian. That was my, my, my lifelong wrestling goal. And, um, you know, you might think like, oh, you should have been saying you want to be Olympic champ or, you know, that could have, my goal was I wanted to be an Olympian. I wanted to, that was my goal. And it was a realistic goal for me. Um, you know, I got a late start and I was playing catch up for my whole career, really. Um, compared to a lot of the guys that I wrestled against, but um, I was nervous, obviously way more nervous for the Olympic trials. I'd been building up for it. And um, yeah, once I, once I made that team, then I was kind of like the pressure felt like it was, it wasn't off, but it felt like it was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't till I made the team and then USA wrestling gave me, you know, a, a, two foot tall stack of DVDs of all my opponents and all that stuff that I would study. And, um, when I realized like, man, I, I actually have a legit chance here. Cause I had beaten 50% of the guys. Um, I mean, the guy who won the, the guy who got gold and silver the year after I was in the Olympics in 09, the Hungarian and the, and the, uh, Swedish guy, I beat both of those guys, you know, a year earlier. And, it was just, I knew I had a chance, but it wasn't really until I made the team that I was like, okay, I could, I could do this. I could win this, you know, and I was confident, but not nervous for some reason. And you had said that in the book that in 07, the top three guys didn't get top three in 08. In like 07. No, re no repeat medalists from 07 to 08, basically, which is really rare. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I, I think that like you go and you look, the guy who, won the 04 Olympics, Karim Gabriel, he was an Egyptian guy. He killed everybody. Um, he lost his first match at the Olympics, I believe. You know, there was just, it's just one of those things where I think everybody, when you, when you have to qualify, which may, what makes the Olympics so tough in comparison to the world championships or whatever is everybody's good. You have to qualify to be there. So you have, there's no easy match at the Olympics. And so I think if you would have went back and re, you know, rebracketed everybody and just ran the tournament again the next day. Like I could honestly see it being a couple different people up there, mm -hmm. you know, different style matchups. And, um, you just, 
there was even the guy who won the Olympics had lost to other guys in that weight class before in my weight class. It wasn't like we had like a, a Jordan Burroughs coming into my weight class who was just always dominant, right? Mm -hmm. It was just so many guys that on any given day could probably be the guy that won. Um, yeah, I, I believe that that's true. I mean, heavyweight was a different story. You had Lopez who, yeah, like he still doing it. He, yeah, he was a, a, he's a different animal altogether. Right. Um, but no other weight class, I think you could say that about, so, and like, I I don't know everybody in every weight class, but I know my weight class was, you could run that tournament back and I'd have a totally different result. And how early into the three weeks of the Olympics or two weeks of the Olympics did Greco go that year? Um, you know, I, I honestly couldn't tell you, I could tell you I was there for, I think 15 days. And on my 16th day there, I wrestled. Um, but I don't know, you know, like in relation to like where that like, was. Well, the, the reason I ask is a lot of the freestyle guys say most of the time freestyle is one of the last events. And so in the village, people are done with their event and they're partying and having a good time. And the freestyle guys are still cutting. They're still laser focused. So it's a little bit of a interesting environment for those guys. Yeah. And that's, I think that is true. Cause I actually remember, so I became a cop 10 days after I wrestled in the Olympics, went to the Academy. And so I got, I came home and I, I got home and I was, I watched Henry Cejudo's match when he won the Olympics on TV. Like I didn't stay around for the closing ceremonies or for the freestyle guys. So, Dang. and then the closing ceremonies, I think were right after that. So, and we went right before freestyle or freestyle. So we were towards the end, but not yeah. the last event. Well, that's, what's cool about your book, man, is that you going into 08, you already knew you were joining the police Academy. You had to be there like something like three days after, maybe a week after getting the medal crate, just insane to even consider. And, you know, three, four days later, next thing you know, you're in Atlanta police Academy, starting a new life. And yeah, you had just accomplished one of the most incredible things in, in, in wrestling, winning the Olympic medal. Did you feel any of that post Olympics blues or did you not do it? Cause you were going right into something else. No, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I left the sport early. Um, I was only 27 when I stopped wrestling. Wow. Um, you know, and everybody was, all the coaches are like, you literally just got good. Like, why are you leaving? And, you know, to be honest with you, like, I feel like I worked harder than everybody. Like I, I had catching up to do. And I had, that was literally like the only thing I cared about. I was very OCD about everything I ate and how I trained. And I used to cut a lot of weight to make that weight class. And, um, but I was sick of like begging people for sponsorships just so I could pay my bills or thinking like, Oh, if I win this tournament, I have to win this tournament or get second, at least this tournament. So I could pay this bill or whatever, you know, there was, there was no funding as far as, um, I mean, there was enough funding to survive and I didn't, I could have lived at the training center, but I was married at the time. Like I got married in 07. And, um, so I lived off base off campus and, you know, I still ate and all that stuff there most of the time, but, um, I was sick of being broke and, you know, do you made, I made a little bit of money the year of the Olympics cause I did well, but the year before that being the number two guy in the country, I think I made like 12 to $15,000 to live off of. So Which it's is just ridiculous. I mean, that's, yeah. and it sounds like like that monthly stipend 
it didn't change for like two decades. Like the thousand dollars a month is like the same thousand that John Smith was getting. Like adjusted for inflation a little bit, people. Like, yeah, I mean, geez, it, it's just crazy to think that you were you doing that with a family. And uh, but so kind of naturally, I have to ask: Did you do you have some regret that you left a little early? Or are you glad that you left when you did on top? Um, I'm glad now. You know, there was a couple times where I was like, I'm going to make my comeback. I took, you know, a year later, I'm going to make a comeback. I'm going to make a comeback. And, um, but then it just kind of like a couple years later, I was like, yeah, I know I'm done. I would like, think about like, if I was going to train and have this job, and I'm like, no, 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 I have kids now. Like I can't work this job full time. You know, I, part of me wishes that I could get like the police to like back then, like the police department to do what the Navy did for me and let me train and represent them. And, you know, be like a positive thing, but, um, that wasn't going to happen, you know? So it's just, it's just a different world, but I, I left with, I mean, obviously I, I have a bronze medal. Everybody wants a gold medal and you hear these crazy stories about they get bronze or silver and they try to come back and, you know, it, there's a lot of stories where they try to do it and they never do. Right. And mm -hmm. I was just, um, I guess, ready to, to be done dumping everything I had into it. So. And you, and you, we didn't get into it, but you know, people who are just completely in, you know, into it like that, you were OCD, you were doing everything you could at that point. Yeah. I would, you know, people would have labeled me as obsessed at that time. And um, that's fine. Cause that's, I mean, that's what it takes to, to get to that point. Um, yeah. But if you know, and, and I, and I say like about the financial thing and stuff, I don't mean that, like, I think wrestlers should all make tons of money. You know, I, I do actually think they should. Um, but if there was just enough to like, be able to survive, like support a family, just even like a lower mm -hmm. income family, like I probably would have done another four years at least. Right. But and we're not going to get to talk about your SWAT days, just all the cool shit you do, man. It's a, uh, you're someone who's lived a, a very colorful life and you've, you've given so much to wrestling. And I'm just so honored that one, you listened to this show and, and two, that you sent me the book. And I really just appreciate you coming on, man. I want to ask you how you, how did wrestling change your life? But before we do that, any last words or any stories you wanted to get to that we didn't? Um, no, I mean, wrestling is still changing my life because I'm trying to, to balance out my kids doing it and how to do that the right way. Do you push them? Do you not push them? Do you want them to wrestle full time or not? You know, and it's just, just figuring it out still myself. Yeah. It, that's a whole thing where it's like one of those deals where you think you got it, you think you're going somewhere and then you get a throw curveball thrown at you and the kid doesn't want to do it anymore. Or maybe something else has come up. It's like, that must be an interesting, uh, a good challenge, but an interesting challenge to tackle is when you have someone who does a kid who does like it and you yeah. want to know, like, how do you go from it? You know, the one thing every guest has told me that that sticks out is take them to an ignition event, like the NCAs or the Olympic trials or something that they go to. And they're like, holy shit, I'll never forget that. And they yeah. say that that has more impact than anything. Um, and I'm like, cause it, that rings whole, true for me. I went to the Oh four Olympic trials with my mom, my, uh, birthday in eighth grade or ninth grade never forget it and i had never been to an ncas before that and it was like wow did, did you watch the the brandon paulson dennis Hall oh match? yeah heck yeah, yeah we did every time that comes on mom and i are like we were there 
just kept going and going. I mean, Kale and Lee Fullhart going like, oof, yeah. man, what a three what matches. A, yeah. It, RCA dome. They put the tarp at the 50 yard line. And I would sneak back and watch the warm up. So just that event, like this was such an impact for me. And so a lot of the, the guests who come on here and talk about parenting and coaching, they always say, take them to an ignition event. I'm yeah. Sure you, yeah. I'm sure. Well, that's kind of my plan is we were debating on going to, um, the nationals this year, cause it's in Tulsa and it's only eight hour, nine hour drive. Um, but of course my son has baseball and I'm trying mm-hmm. to let him naturally kind of go to where he wants to go. Um, but that, like I said, that's the, that's the tricky part is, you know, I'm trying to be as supportive and not show like when he picks a wrestling event over a baseball event or something, but that's we are going to the, go ahead. I was gonna say we are going to the Air Force uh, dual meet tonight though, because I live like five minutes from the Air Force Academy. So there we go. Go watch something. The trick is you get them the tickets for Christmas, then they can't say no. <laughs> oh no, he he. My son wants to go. Like oh, wow. he 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 wants to go to the NCAA's. Um, we had tickets to the Olympic trials last time before COVID happened, or we had them lined up at least. Mm-hmm. And then when COVID happened and everything, we ended up not being able to do that. But there's some, you know, I'm going to take that advice at, at some point and take them to like, I think the NCAA seems like it's the most, like it's the biggest one now, the, um, the way they do the trials and everything. And it's, it's the not final X or whatever they call it. I just, I don't like the new system. Well, I like the, the final X is, is tough because it's, um, it breaks it up a little bit. And so for, to go and watch an event in person, it's a little bit harder. I think viewing it's, it's, it's nice what they do. The Olympic trials, when I went to the trials in Fort Worth in 21, man, it was, they could have done it so much better. Like they had Zahid wrestling Bo Nickel, like the same time another match was going on. And like they have finals intermingled with the, it just was kind of all, there's no order to it. It was just bizarre, honestly, how they chose the matches and all of it. You know, yeah. like they could do it like the NCAs. You have a round, you wrestle that round, you wait, you know, and like really build it up and make it an event to go to. Yeah. That's like the, you know, for us back when I was wrestling, going to and wrestling at the national championships was a huge deal Mm -hmm. and everybody wanted to do it because that's how you earned a spot. A, it was a qualifier for the trials and B, if you win it, you got to sit out of the trials. Exactly. And um, now you don't even get like the national seems like it, trust me, there's still phenomenal wrestlers that go there, but a lot of times it's not the top guys. This year, they're trying to go back to it a little bit. In freestyle, at least, they're taking out the world trials from what I've, I listen to Flo once in a while, and they mentioned that. And I'm like, good, because wrestling, we always do this. We de-emphasize the events. Like right now in college wrestling, there's this whole debate that, you know, the dual meets have no meaning. Well, to your point in freestyle and Greco, the U.S. Open has been a it's been really watered down recently because you have the U S open, you got the world trials and final X. Like I like if wrestling just makes events that people have to go to. And then it's, then it's a big showing, you know, to your point, make the U S open. The only thing winner of that goes to final X, you know, defending world medalist sits out to final X. I'm fine with that, but make everyone else just go to one event. And then that one event's really big. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it adds some like the NCAAs is huge because it's, the, the national championship. Like I felt like when I was wrestling to be a national champion, it was a huge deal. You know, right. it was just your national champion. You get the big stop sign, you know, like that meant something. 
And There's it, stakes to it. Yeah. And now, like I said, I'm, I'm removed. I'm involved with the youth stuff to a small degree, um, just mostly as a dad nowadays. But right. um, I am thinking about trying to start helping out with uh, doing some Greco stuff up here. I've talked to the local high school coach and um, he wants to do some Greco stuff in the off season for his guys. So, but just on a small level, you know, they say that and then they, they get you hooked. And the next thing you know, you're at Fargo, you're running team Colorado. And Hey, I would, you know, what? if, if the job security of being like a Greco coach was the same as the job security I have now as a firefighter with, you know, we don't, we're not rich, but we make, I make a decent amount of money. I work for Denver fire, make a decent amount of money, have a pension. It's secure. Like if I could have that, like my dream job would be to coach. Sure. Um, it's just like, uh, I'm more about having security and financial stability for my family than sure. my own wants, I guess. Makes sense, but, man. And there's a whole story I'm sure. And how you became a, a cop and now you're a fighter fighter. And there, again, there's a lot, there's a lot we'll have to have you back on for, but Adam, it just, uh, it was a real honor to have you on. Um, I got to jump unfortunately, but thank you so much for coming on. Last question, man. What's the one thing wrestling's given you that you still use with you to this day in your, your job as a firefighter? Um, the ability to understand that the harder you work, the more it works out for you. Um, I didn't understand what hard work was until wrestling and, um, you know, through doing the hard work and grinding and mentally being able to push through some of the adversity. I think that carries over to everything in life. So I love it. Thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been great to talk to you. I will be in touch when I put this out. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Olympic bronze medalist Adam Wheeler. To support the show, please go to btschicago.org slash donate. Download the Quant Wrestling app, Q-U-A-N-T Wrestling, Quant Wrestling. And support Spartan Combat, our title sponsor. They just dropped the Yanni D and Kyle Dick shoes. Go to spartancombat.com to order. We'll see you later this week with a new episode with David Maricatani.